thank you to listener Victoria Virial. She's made this podcast possible by pledging to the show at the engineer level at patreon.com slash Pios Labs. On behalf of everyone listening, thank you, Victoria. It's the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast for March 6th, 2017. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Pius Wong. The nature of data is evolving. We're collecting more of it, and we're getting more and more tools to try to understand it. To help make sense of how to teach this new data landscape to future engineers, I spoke to my guest this episode, Sarah Morris. Sarah Morris is the co-founder of an education nonprofit called the Nucleus Learning Network, where she specializes in teaching modern data visualization techniques, or DataViz for short. I met up with Sarah on the outdoor patio of Pasha Cafe here in Austin to talk. So I'm a librarian at the University of Texas, and then as our side gig, I run a nonprofit with a friend of mine, Emily Wirtz. Uh, we founded it about a year ago. And we focus on educator training and just supporting local educators with a variety of topics, usually STEM education and digital literacy, especially, which is a big interest of mine coming from the library world. Yeah, I was going to say, if you work at the university in the library, you must be used to lots and lots of data. Absolutely. Yeah, I teach mostly classes for first year students and it's a lot of digital literacy, information literacy, dealing with information, how to find information and use it effectively. So we're just trying to empower them to succeed at the university and then whatever their next endeavor is going to be once they graduate. Cool. And what do you do then with data and data visualization at the Nucleus Learning Network? So we offer uh, workshops for educators. We've uh, done a couple with Art Science Gallery, which is a cool organization, uh, drop-in workshops where we've had educators come, but also people in industry, artists, just a whole array of individuals coming in. And that work sort of stemmed from work I'd done in the library world, so at UT and previously at Loyola University of Chicago, where I was for a couple oh, of years. Awesome, I'm from Chicago. Fantastic, so hey, connection. It's a good time. Um, yeah, so when I was at Loyola, I started teaching infographic data visualization workshops because a lot of professors we were working with were starting to include that as class projects that they could do, just as alternatives to, you know, the traditional research paper or a supplement to your research paper. Um, and I just thought it was such a fun topic and it's a great way to pull in a lot of concepts, visual literacy, dealing with data, communicating ideas in different uh, media formats, and it kind of snowballed from there. So when we started at Nucleus, it just seemed like a nice fit and a good sort of segue into being able to work with educators in that capacity. Very cool. And for anyone who doesn't know, then what is an infographic and what are the other term big terminology that people should know? Absolutely. So an infographic is a type of data visualization and it relies on sort of graphics and a lot of images. Um, they've become very popular in a lot of media outlets now. So you'll see them in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, wherever, where people are sort of having a graphical representation to talk about either a lot of data or a lot of information they want to cover. Uh, data visualization is kind of a catch-all term that it can be used in a lot of different ways, but basically it can refer to everything from a map that's looking at information to a basic chart or graph that you could even do in Excel. That's still a form of visualizing data. So there's a lot of different 
outlets that can take. And infographic is just sort of one type of that that really relies heavily on a lot of imagery and, you know, color and kind of almost poster type design to present a topic that you want to cover. And so a lot of the people listening are involved in STEM education in particular and engineering education, hence the name of this podcast. (laughs) And so they deal with a ton of data as well. It might be different data from what the New York Times deals with. So what uh, what kinds of data visualizations do you think are more unique for those types of fields? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think the fun thing is you see a lot of overlap in different fields even. I've seen, um, you know, recently a lot of people are doing maps for the election in the fall. Yeah. Everyone is doing polling data yes. and that kind of thing. But I've also seen maps where people maybe were looking at, you know, earthquake data and popping it on a map or historic maps where people have looked at you know, where uh, enlightenment philosophers were living and sending letters from and people were mapping the, tra- the, uh, the letters and how they were like traveling around and connecting with people. So yeah, you can use sort of the same form for a lot of different fields, which I think can be really fun for engaging with students because kind of no matter how they're coming at it, they can find something of interest. And so, Sarah, I understand that you have different strategies in the classroom that you could probably pass on to other teachers. What uh, are they? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been fortunate to have experience working with kind of different ranges of experience with data viz. So I've, I've sometimes had students who maybe have more experience and it becomes more just let's go through different tools together and have some hands-on time. You can explore different stuff. And I've definitely had students who have no idea what the term even means and are just completely starting from scratch, which will probably be the case in high school. Uh, So I will often start, you know, showing different examples to let people see kind of what's out there and sort of talk through what's happening, what seems to be working, what doesn't seem to be working. And then I will often do activities where I'll just even give them a really basic sample data set and have them work in pairs to think about how they would represent that information and even just going to be done on you know pencil paper on a whiteboard wherever and I think it's always fun to see what the different groups come up with because everyone will have very wildly different ways of doing something and then you could sort of show them the actual graph or chart that I got it from at the end to be like okay that's how they chose to do it but you're also exploring different avenues there um one other thing is I like storyboarding as well. So having them think, you know, if you have a sort of guided project you're doing, think about who is the audience for this visualization? Um, who are you communicating with? What's your main point? Uh, what data do you want to make sure is included? And kind of plan that out before you dive in. I think especially with infographics, you can have the tendency to just, I'm going to dump everything I've ever thought <laughs> into this thing. And then it becomes kind of incoherent and a little overwhelming. So. And so teachers should do a little planning before they just throw a bunch of data at their kids? I I would definitely recommend that. I know for a fact that the engineering teachers I've worked with, they use Excel a lot. Some students love it, some students do not. I've gotten mixed reactions from students, but I'm a proponent of good old Excel. (laughs) It gets the job done. If you are guiding someone who doesn't like these tools, what do you do in teaching them? I think I... Just try try to find some element that they're going to enjoy, whether it's... And there's so many different tools out there is the nice thing. I think sometimes, at least with Excel, might seem sort of basic because there's a lot of new flashy things that have come out in recent years. But 
I say, I always just tell them, find, find the tool that fits what you want to do. And just because it does exist doesn't mean you have to use it. Um, it's kind of like PowerPoint back in the day when, you know, you could animate the letters and have them all spit on the screen. But you don't necessarily have to do that every single slide. You can just <laughs> use that judiciously. So, uh, yeah, figuring out kind of what your point is and what you're trying to do and then finding a tool that fits, I think, can help people sometimes because... If the tool's going to fit, if you sort of know what you're doing, what story you're trying to tell with your data, then it kind of can flow a little better and you're not sort of forcing something or it doesn't become this awkward fit. So Sure, sure. Like there's a natural reason for them to want to use the tool. Exactly, yeah. And at least in workshops I've done and working with educators, we try to cover kind of a wide variety of tools that mm. can work in a lot of different scenarios. And I think sometimes students are just excited to see the different options that are out there, whether it's... Uh, you know, making a nice looking chart in Excel to maybe finding something where you can make a map or playing with Google Maps or just kind of whatever their needs might be just to have fun with it. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the content of the workshops that you do related to this? Uh, what kind of tools do you specifically go over and how do you actually teach someone this? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, at least with with student workshops that I've done, so, you know, for college freshman teens, that age range typically we'll sort of break it down by type of tool often so we'll maybe pick one sort of mapping tool that we like and kind of demonstrate it and then give them time to do hands-on exploration which I always find really important just to let people bang around with something and explore Mm -hmm. the nice thing is a lot of tools that have come out so for instance a mapping one I like is called social explorer and they pull U.S. census data and they have a lot of built-in stuff and so data sets are already in there and it kind of walks you through what you need to do so it can be a good way to learn how to do things and see what your options are in a more guided environment. Um, There's a tool called uh, RAW, um, R-A-W, and it's another sort of chart building tool, but they have sample data sets within the environment. So you can play with one of theirs and just get used to things and see what types of visualizations you can do. So that can often be a way I'll approach just demonstrating and letting them get some hands-on experience with whatever type of tool you might be interested in having them learn. I see. So it sounds like you use a lot of existing big data sets that are out there. And so that's that's funny. I use the phrase big data because a lot of computer science teachers have told me that's a big, big trend now. What do you think about this idea of big data? And should people, real, should the average person really care about that? I, I do think the average person should care about it just because it's becoming such a big thing, so to speak, pun yeah. intended. Uh, it's, it, I think it's becoming ubiquitous in a way. So many, it, There's so much heightened access to data sets. There's so many people putting free data sets out there. Even yeah. the government, the state of Texas has a data portal. The city of Austin has its own data portal where you can just grab a data set and go to town with it, which is really cool, but I think it's becoming more readily accessible. You're seeing news outlets engaging with it and putting that out there. You know, scientists who are making their stuff widely available are making use of it. So I think it's good to understand, you know, what it is and where it's coming from and how people are engaging with it and the challenges that 
come from working with it. So even if it's just a, a more superficial level, I think anybody, even if you're not a scientist engineer, can still <laughs> benefit from sort of knowing what that is. So you remind me of uh, some work I was doing with the University of Texas a little while ago as well, where we were trying to have a little one-week module about big data. And it struck me that it's really hard to find engineering-related data sets that, that are, like, real and relevant to kids, like something that kids would care about rather than, I don't know, financial stock market data. So, so what are your suggestions of maybe some more interesting data sets out there that teachers could could play with yeah that is a really good question because i've <laughs> run into that too because half the time the free ones is like weather data or just something <laughs> that you're kind of a snooze fast right, people right. Aren't what. so i've kind of set out to just find ludicrous borderline ludicrous data sets that you can use so um a couple i found one that was the box office returns for all the fast and furious movies what? in the franchise <laughs> it was just a little okay. nice little excel spreadsheet and it just had the box office returns and you could just compare all the movies but it was simple enough that you could like easily build a chart or graph with it and I had some kids once who made an infographic out of it and they had little car icons and I, <laughs> I mean it's kind of ridiculous but it, it was basic enough that you could play with it sure. and not have to worry about cleaning it up or that it was too overwhelming um, there's this uh, t- resource called the Law and Order Database um, that overthinkingit.com put together. I hope it's I hope it's still up. This was a while ago. I think it's still <laughs> around. But um, it is every episode of Law and Order and the verdict of the case. So whether it was guilty or not guilty, but it's just a massive spreadsheet of Law and Order episodes <laughs> that you can play with. So just there's. Are you sort a fan? Of, I am a fan of okay. Law & Order, yeah, but just, I, yeah, I was trying to find just either more pop culture, just sort of what silly ones that let you play with it and aren't too overwhelming, because you're right, so, I mean, the kids don't get super engaged with stock market data necessarily, so um, I had a friend of mine who found the Audubon Society had some sort of bird data set that you okay. could use, so, yeah, there's sort of, hopefully accessible topics or subjects that you can just use to play yeah, with, that, with kids. What you're saying reminds me, I don't know if I was poking around on the Nucleus Learning website or someone else, mm-hmm. but I saw a data set of someone looking at Star Trek episodes and whenever there was like a red alert or something or a that yellow was, alert, that was your website? That was our website, okay. yeah. It was the same people who did the Law and Order database okay. also did Star Trek and they tracked, um, next generation I should say, <laughs> they tracked the number of red alerts and yellow alerts per episode and then they actually charted them by season so they said in season 4 they had more red alerts and yellow alerts for some reason and but it's yeah. cool because you can like correlate that with yeah. did the ratings go up or down and i think that's what you said for the law and order seasons that's what you were doing okay exactly yeah it's kind of a yeah just sort of basic environment where you exactly you can teach some basic statistics concepts or look at cleaning up data and making sure everything sure. is formatted correctly Then when it comes to the actual visualization and understanding and parsing of all that data, what are some of like the top five, top ten things that you think a, a kid or an adult really should know how to do? Is it formatting a chart or, or what is it? Um, a few things. One on the end of producing it yourself, and it's definitely just 
I think Excel basics can go a long way and even just a little refresher for people, but just making sure that, and you know, sometimes if I get away from Excel for a while and you come back to it and you're like, wait, how do I do this thing again? And what do I do? Yeah. Yeah, So just making sure the kids are all for, for what you want to do in a classroom, making sure everyone's on the same page. Like if you want to make sure, Hey, do we all understand how to convert these two percentages or do you know how to enter this formula? So it, adds the row up for you just making sure everyone's like cool with that level of stuff um yeah and i've i I like excel has the sort of chart recommender now that's built into excel yeah Yeah. and so even when you first sort of format it having them just kind of run the chart recommender just to make sure that you're not getting anything like wacky when you produce a chart because sometimes you might have it in there and think it looks fine and then you're the x and y axis got sort of flipped around without you realizing it and you said oh never mind that's not what i intended so it can be sort of a baby pool test before you move into something else but yeah i just so just some basic excel stuff and making sure it's okay because the thing i always tell people is you know there's all these great tools out there that you can use like free things online whatever but the tool isn't that smart at the end of the day it's gonna whatever you put in it's just gonna spit something back out to you and it will not correct something if you have something wet even if it's just something as simple as you forgot to label something it's not going to realize that it should label it for you so just being careful with that yeah The other thing I really emphasize, at least in my workshops with students, is this sort of visual literacy component and being able to actually read a data visualization, which I think can go a long way. So, you know, I often do just examples at the top, both good and really horrible examples. And just we talk through it as a group, like what is going on here, because you know, just making sure you're kind of keeping best practices in mind with how you might want to represent something. And I'll show them kind of deliberately awful examples of, you know, maybe someone used a pie chart unnecessarily. And then it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. How well, how could you represent this in a way that would make more sense to people? And then kind of you problem solve the data viz. And I mean, I use real world examples with them too. I was at this, um, conference once and I won't name names but uh, somebody (laughs) had a sort of an infographic they were presenting and the the title said one thing and then something the first piece of information right under the title was basically the opposite and so everyone got confused as to what it, it just a tiny thing but it flipped the whole meaning around and people thought they were trying to say a what their infographic would really be was their point sure. so to speak so and then it caused confusion later in the day <laughs> and you're just like okay just one even just your header at the top just make sure you're clear about what you want people to get out of something because it can get really misinterpreted if you're not careful In your experience, is there a particular topic related to data visualization that's really hard or the hardest for people? Honestly, I feel the hardest sometimes is, kind of back to what I was saying earlier, that there's so many options out there that people want to get really elaborate and do a lot of stuff, and that sometimes a simple solution can be just as well, and that can be hard for people to kind of grapple with sometimes because sometimes the more elaborate solution might be muddying the waters or sort of confusing your issue and you could have unintended uh it's unintended what it's saying and so uh yeah that can be tricky sometimes just sort of working with kids on how to you know select the best visualization option for what they need to do and making sure that's all clear 
there. Okay, that's a good tip for our teachers. Hopefully, they'll they'll teach it to their high school kids so that they get to, by the time they get to you, they won't have as many of those those issues. Um, There's also a wealth of resources out there, sort of best practices and um, even tools where you can say the type of data you have. Like you want to compare two things, and it says, okay, these types of visualizations help you compare things, oh, cool. and you can kind of start with that. Yeah. What is that? I've never heard of that. That's kind of. Um, cool. There's one that's it's actually done as a. It's a periodic table of visualization, and you can Whoa. click on different types of charts, and it, it breaks down what it is. So it says, this is a scatter plot. Here's when you might want to use this. And there's one called a chart juice, I believe, and it's also another comparison one, and that's also linked on the website. What's the future of data visualization? What's Where's it going? Like, Is it going to virtual reality? Is it going oh to 3D? God. What's going on? Um, I hope it gets to virtual reality. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I feel like it's just going to keep growing and becoming just more and more of a communication method that's being used. I think especially with how we communicate online, it's become so hyper-visual. I mean, you can even see, like... I always thought it was interesting, you know, that we had sort of live journal era and everyone was blogging and then it yes. kind of morphed into Tumblr I and it was just like images. <laughs> oh, I had, oh yeah, I rocked the live journal. Nice. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Um, but now, you know, it's so Tumblr and all these imager and it's just so visual heavy mm -hmm. is the way we kind of communicate and, you know, emojis and everything has become the sort of shorthand way. So I just, I, I see even major news outlets. You see the Guardian has its own sort of data viz department. And they actually have a blog where they talk about how they create their own visualizations and have all this stuff. So I feel it's going to keep growing and that it's great for students, whether they're going to create them or not, to be able to consume them and understand what they're seeing and how the data is being used and where it's coming from. Because I just think it's going to become um, increasingly a way that we share info, especially with big data growing as well. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure out a way to process that and make it understandable. Yeah. Especially within within the sciences, computer science, like being able to communicate out clearly, you know, what you're working on and what you have, and to be able to share that with a wide audience is such an important skill that we see, and I think that's just one tool in their toolbox. Um, and I like DataViz, too, because I feel it connects, really, with the humanities as well. It's so cross-disciplinary, so, you know, you, you can have artists consulting on a project with you, and, you know, engineers trying the data, and then how you communicate that out and make it look appealing, even. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of different angles you can approach it from. Well, that's really awesome. So it's clear that you love data visualization, Sarah. And uh, I'm wondering if, if teachers or anyone listening, professionals, want to know what you do and what your tips and tricks are, how can they reach you? Yeah, so the best way to get in touch and see kind of resources we've compiled is our website. It's uh, www.nucleuslearningnetwork.org. Um, we'll make sure the link is up on your uh, site. Notes, yeah, yeah, show notes so people cool. can get there. Um, and yeah, our contact email's on there. And if anyone wants to get in touch and chat database, feel free to <laughs> fire off an email. I'd love to hear from you. So. All right. Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. That was Sarah Morris of the Nucleus Learning Network. 
Links to the resources that we mentioned in this episode are in the show notes and at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. Don't forget that the transcripts are coming out for season one episodes, and you can find them linked on the podcast website. As always, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Share every episode with your friends and colleagues, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time for more. Our closing music is from Late for School by BleepTor, under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of my production studio, Pios Labs, and you can support Pios Labs at patreon.com slash Labs. Hey, it's the post-show message from Pius, your host. I just wanted to let you know that I am going to be at South by Southwest this March, and it's the first time I'm ever podcasting from it, but that's what I'm going to do. So if you can't make it, or even if you can make it, and you're interested in seeing or hearing ideas from different parts of the conference, well, stay tuned for the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. And like I mentioned in the last episode, again, I have a new book out called Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games. And because you're listening, if you'd like 20% off on the ebook, you can go to smashwords.com, search for the book title or my name. And when you check out the book, use the promo code EH22M, and that'll give you 20% off. That code will be good through the summertime. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>